Friends, I invite you to take a Bible from in front of you, a new Bible, and it is good to have our Bibles open. And so I do invite you, before we um, have a word of blessing and dedication, to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So Daniel is an Old Testament prophet, a major prophet, as opposed to a minor prophet. So if you start in the middle and you go through Psalms, Proverbs, um, Lamentations, Ezekiel is kind of the next big book, and then Daniel would follow that. Daniel chapter 6, we'll be reading today verses 1 through 14. Daniel 6, 1 through 14. I think the Pew Bible is the same page number as the uh, pulpit Bible, so page 764, if that helps you out too. But there's a nice table of contents in the front otherwise. Uh, today, we'll be reading the first part, not the full story of Daniel in the lion's den, but this relates to our, our series on spiritual disciplines. As we kind of come out of New Year's and we think about habits and practices, we're approaching Lent, we think about maybe there's something that we want to be really intentional about. And so as we spend these weeks on what we would call a disciplined grace, a disciplined grace, putting ourselves in touch with God's grace through the actions and responses that God offers to us. We'll be reading from Daniel chapter 6. But before we do so, with a Bible in hand or one near you, um, we want to offer a word of blessing and dedication on these Bibles. We're grateful for the ones that we had and for those of, the, those of them that are well-loved and well-used. It, it was good to see some of them in rough shape. They've been used well. And also, it is a gift, and so we're grateful for consistory taking action to have new Bibles to continue to serve us well as we read and study God's Word together. So, I'll offer um, <clears throat> a prayer simply first just for the Bibles that we have. And so, as we're grateful for them, this is one uh, prayer that um, Aaron Coster found for us. And let's pray now as we lead together. Let's pray. Lord our God, you are the living Word. You reveal yourself to us in a special way through the scriptures that we now have the joy to hold in our hands. Look with delight upon us today as we renew our commitment to read and remember you in the stories of our salvation. May these Bibles be well used, well read, and may we wear them out in all of the right ways by making use of them, by turning to them, and by joining together in study of your word as a congregation. By your Holy Spirit, equip us to read your word together with active minds and open hearts that we might absorb your wisdom and live in your truth. Use these Bibles for the increase of our faith and the building up of your kingdom. Through your word, may we be transformed into the very likeness of Christ your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. And before we read God's word, we simply offer a blessing. May, may God's word be our rule, the Holy Spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our primary concern. Let's read now from Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Just a note of context, there's all kinds of rulers in the first five chapters. We started with Nebuchadnezzar, we've gone all the way to Darius, there's, uh, there's Jews, Israelites who are living in captivity in Babylon 
And that's where we pick up with Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And now the regime has changed. It's a new person in charge. King Darius is calling the shots now. And it is still there in the royal court that Daniel serves as one of the exiles. But as we read this today, the reason we're paying attention to Daniel's story is to notice some of his habits about prayer as we seek to be mindful of our own habits of prayer. So with that in mind, let's read God's word together. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds and charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you don't know the story, it ends well for Daniel. Think about prayers that Daniel offered. Think about some of the prayers that I've offered over the years. And one set of prayers that I'm particularly mindful of is what I would call the lawnmower prayers. That's not really a clever name for anything. It's really prayers that I offered while mowing the lawn. Now, 
I know this is going to sound like I didn't have anything to complain about because it was a riding lawnmower, but my prayers in my early adolescence often on the lawnmower went something like this. God, will you please make this lawnmower break? Will you please let this horrible, junky mower that we hate riding, may something go so wrong with it that mom and dad will have to buy a new one? Please, God, can you please make this mower break? Please, I'd really rather not use this one anymore. Other people have nicer lawn mowers. Can't we have one of the, oh, I should open my eyes while praying. It's not a rule. You don't have to close your eyes. Helps you to be less distracted. But those were the lawnmower prayers. None of my sisters nor myself enjoyed the lawnmower that we had. We prayed for that lawnmower to break so that we could get a better one, right? So we could be more comfortable. We could enjoy it more. I remember once when the lawnmower did break down, and like, not like a breakdown that, that, that my mom and dad would fix, but like we brought it with to the shop, and I got to go with and I suspect my parents knew all along what the verdict would be. And so I was so excited in the shop. I'm waiting to hear. So my dad's kind of sharing what happened. And I'm like, my lawnmower prayers are about to be answered. We're about to get rid of this thing and a new one's going to be inevitable. And I remember, probably to no surprise to my parents, but to all the disappointment of me, the guy behind the sales counter saying, yeah, that shouldn't be too hard. It'll run like new again. Lawnmower prayers not answered. I'm pleased to tell you that eventually they were, but not because the horrible mower ever broke down, but actually because um, after I'm the youngest, after I graduated high school and was no longer in the house, then mom and dad bought a new lawnmower. <laughs> we're like, oh, now you bought one. They're like, yeah, we didn't want to drive that one. It's a piece of junk. Well, well, well. Sometimes, Prayers get answered in such a way that they're not according to our timing, that it doesn't feel like a satisfying answer to prayer at all. I think we've all prayed some of those prayers, if we think about them. Prayers that we've asked for healing to see. And ultimately, there is healing found in death, but it's not the type of healing that we were asking for. It's not the timing we were looking for. I think sometimes those are the lawnmower prayers. We really want something to change, and it just refuses to change. And I remember finally hearing that mom and dad got a new lawnmower, and it was like all those prayers were answered in some strange way that I didn't really care for because it didn't benefit me. That might say something about how maybe sometimes our prayers can be a little self-serving. I would still say more prayer is better than no prayer at all, even if over time and maturity we catch ourselves, if we're changed by the prayers that we offer and how we pay attention in prayer to, God, how are you working? What are you up to? That we might notice that a little bit more and that prayer will transform us over time into greater spiritual maturity in some of the same ways that we see Daniel already in these habits of prayer that he was, we're told in the scriptures, he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was shaped by a life of prayer. Even when he was in Babylon, in exile, far from his homeland, far from where his roots were in the kingdom of Judah, Daniel and others have been uprooted and brought to a faraway land. And there, Jeremiah explains this a little bit more fully, but there, characters like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to put down roots again. 
they chose to say, this isn't where we grew up, this isn't where we feel like we belong, but we will make this place home. And they serve Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Darius. They make the place home. And they also continue to offer their prayers, remembering that no matter where they lived, they remember that their roots are where they were close to God. Which is why it's something worth noting that Daniel, his, his prayers involve his body. I'm not saying that every prayer has to be this way. Like say, if you're praying on the lawnmower or while driving, please don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. But prayer is not just a head game. And as we talk about spiritual disciplines, we don't want this to be only a mind game. Not just life of the mind, not just in our heads, but our whole life. And we see just a hint of that in Daniel's habit of prayer. That for one, there is tremendous regularity. Three times a day. Three meals a day because he needs to be fed by this time of prayer. But also he goes upstairs and he faces east. And we believe that because following Christ's resurrection, we are at home with God wherever we are, because God is always with us. That was one of the promises that Christ gave us upon his resurrection and ascension. I will be with you always, and I will never leave you or forsake you, but will be with you always to the very ends of the earth. But in Daniel's day, the temple Facing east was the place that drew him close to God. And so he remembered the closeness to God that he would have been raised with in worship in, in the land of Judah. And so he faced east. He oriented his body in such a way as to say, home is where I am connected to God. So he faced east and he prayed on his knees. We don't have to pray all of our prayers on our knees. And yet it is a posture of humility to be facing towards God, to think, when I pray, I need to orient my attention towards God and to be on my knees in humility and reverence, probably with bowed head, thinking of who we're praying to, that we're praying not to King Darius who sits on one throne, but that I bow my head in reverence because I am praying to the Lord of heaven and earth who sits upon the throne far above me. And so I bow my head and yet I turn towards God. Still, I think other prayers might be offered looking up, saying, God, where are you? Psalm 22, quoted by Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, would probably be a prayer that we would turn up and say, where are you? I'm looking for you. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills, the high places. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Prayer is embodied. Prayer involves us thinking about how we're orienting our lives. And so we pay attention to our bodies, not that we necessarily pray with them in some way. It's not about the fancy words either. Jesus critiqued the Pharisees that they walked around with their fancy words, making sure that everybody knew they were praying. Hello, God, I am praying to you today because I am a holy good person. Amen and amen. Jesus critiqued that kind of prayer. We see something altogether different in Daniel. Prayers involved his body in a posture of humility in ways that reminded him that prayer is a time where we are orienting ourselves towards God. Now, for Daniel, that involved facing east. I don't know if there's a particular direction that any of us need to face while we do this, but the mindset ought to still be the same. Am I orienting my thoughts and attention towards God? Is there guarded and protected time for this? And Sometimes we can't set aside the times. We think, oh, I can't make the prayer time special enough. Well, don't let that be a reason to not pray at all. 
wouldn't it be better to, at least in conversation, to offer some prayers to God, to talk to God? And once again, if that's on your commute while you're driving, don't close your eyes. Eyes front, doesn't matter which direction you're going. And yet there is time and conversation with God. And this is ultimately what we need. The wording doesn't have to be fancy. And we don't know all of the wording of Daniel's prayers. We're just told here that he's asking for help from his God. It's in the please category. Please, God, will you help us? Will you show us some way through this? Please give us strength to continue to be faithful. Please deliver us from this land. Bring us back home. Bring me back to Jerusalem so that I can worship there again. And also, giving thanks is mentioned as part of Daniel's diet of prayer. Thank you, God, for the position that I am in here. Thank you, God, that I'm not alone, but I have some friends with me on this journey. Thank you, God, that you will continue to care and provide for me. And if you're not familiar with the beginning of the book of Daniel, Daniel might have also said, thanks, God, for letting us change our diet here because Daniel and his friends wanted to eat differently than the people of that land, and their request was granted. Thank you, God, for the wisdom that you give me in the ways that I need it most. Please and thank you. These are all good prayers. And the Psalms will teach us more language of how we might offer our words before God. But there's something else with Daniel a particular posture, not that involves body, but a posture of more of, a, of, of personality. When the, when the decree is issued that in the law of the, P, the Mer, uh, Medes and the Persians, easy to say, the Medes and the Persians that cannot be repealed, that you must only pray. Well, Daniel, he already has his rhythm of prayer. Nothing's going to be disrupted in that. But he goes home and he goes upstairs he goes to the room that, yes, faces east, but, but is private closed room. It seems that Daniel doesn't have anything to prove here. He has his rhythms of prayer, and those aren't going away. But also, Daniel is not committing the same kind of sin that the Pharisees committed. Daniel is not trying to prove a point and walking into the street and being like, I'm not praying to Darius, I'm praying to God. He doesn't walk through the streets of Babylon saying, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'ulam, which I'm pretty sure means, blessed are you, O Lord, our King of the universe. Caitlin can confirm, Aaron can confirm, but close enough. He doesn't have a point to prove. Daniel is not yelling in the street saying like, I'm, I'm here to rebel against this. But he's just saying, I'm not changed by what's going on. I wonder if sometimes we feel like we have to prove something to those around us. Rather, we see in Daniel that his prayer life is a conversation with the God who has already proved faithful time and time again. Who has something to prove in prayer? It's not us. It is talking to the God how he's proved himself over and over. Certainly, there are times where we do pray really loud and draw lots of attention to it. Before our meals, our usual prayer with our children, God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Amen. And I remember doing this in a restaurant once, and we were just going to like pray quietly because that's what we're used to. We'll take a moment to bow our heads. Both we have nothing to prove. We're not embarrassed that we're praying. 
And this is when Ben was still learning his prayers, and he was excited about them. So we're in like Culver's or somewhere. All right, let's, let's pray. And you, you use your intonation of your voice to say like, we're going to do this quietly. God is great and God is good. Everybody knew we were praying. But I would say, as delightful as it is, I'm sure some people had some good chuckles. This kid is just praying his heart out in Culver's. The point of prayer is not that we have anything to prove. It's not something that we put on display as if we're showing off, as if we're letting everybody know that we're praying. And yet it is something regular and noticeable, enough so that Daniel's enemies knew that he prayed with regularity, enough that they knew they could catch him doing this, and also that when he was caught, because of Daniel's integrity and his life of God, he doesn't deny that he was praying. How could they have proved that he was praying? They did not have a cell phone to take a recording of what he was saying. It could have been a court of law argument, but in no way are we given even the slightest hint that Daniel denied that he was praying. He doesn't have anything to prove, but he's talking to the God who has proved God's self over and over again. Neither is Daniel denying that he prays. And no matter what the law is, he doesn't give up his practice of prayer. This is about the God who has proved faithful over the years and making sure that that time is set aside. And so as the story continues on, we find that Daniel is delivered in all of this. And but verse 10, kind of this setting of the scene, verse 10 of Daniel 6, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where his windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Giving thanks, asking for help. This is the same Daniel time and time again. And we also see a, a deliverance that takes place later in the chapter that can only come from God. And yes, spoiler alert, Daniel is thrown in the lion's den, but God closes the mouth of the lions so that Daniel in the next morning is alive and well. But it's the morning and evening that I want to draw attention to with verse 14. We're told when the king heard this, he still prays three times a day, is what he heard, that Daniel continues to pray despite the decree. When the king heard this, when Darius heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was bothered, not because Daniel was praying to the Lord his God, but because he loved Daniel and recognized all of his promise, and he was determined to rescue Daniel. And we're told that King Darius of Persia made every effort until sundown to save him, because sundown is when he'd be thrown in the pit of, de of the lions. King Darius made every effort until sundown to save him, but ironically, Darius could not save Daniel from Darius's own decree. But if you know the rest of the story, it's at sunrise that they find if Daniel is still living or not. King Darius tried until the light went away. He tried until sundown to rescue Daniel and could not. But it's the light of God at the sunrise that salvation has been proved. Once again, God has proved once more that he is watching over Daniel. The same thing has already happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego earlier in the book with a different king, and now it happens again with Daniel. God is proving faithful again. 
how might we model ourselves with this type of prayer? Not to become like Pharisees who like to show off that they're praying because they got something to prove to everybody around them. They need everybody to know that they're praying. They got to pray with fancy words. What if our prayer was to make sure maybe three times a day is a starter? Maybe just at certain times of day, we say, it's my time to have a conversation with God called prayer. Maybe it's just please and thank you. If that were enough, and maybe not with anything else extra added to it, if that's where we need to start. I wonder if there's other things that we can do that embody prayer. I'm mindful that, yes, I prayed some very unholy prayers on the lawnmower seat, but I wonder about some of the daily tasks that we might just pray while we're doing. wonder if we had to do dishes, if we would pray and use the dishes as a lesson in prayer that we're reminding ourselves of the God that we're praying to. I wonder as if we clean dishes, if we might wonder and remember that plates are used to serve food, that we might as we pray, as we clean off the chunks of food that are left over, that we might give thanks to God, that God provides us our daily bread. Thank you, God, that you give us what we need. We might think of plates that we serve to other people, that offering them a plate of food is a sign of hospitality, and we might pray, God, as I clean this plate, whether it be with this plate or in some other way, make me an instrument of your hospitality. May I be someone who offers good gifts to others. May you use me to fill the needs of others. Lord, be with those who are hungry, who do not have the food that they need, whether near or far. God, make me an instrument of your hospitality. Wonder, sometimes we take something weird like this and say, God, thanks that we have things like this that make it hard to open drawers. God, there's people in my life that I don't know what purpose they serve, but they make life difficult. God, thank you for those people too. May you be with them in all the ways that they need. God, if it's your will, can you make them less annoying? God, for those people that just seem to make life difficult, thank you for them. If you're not going to change them, change me. And then somebody, probably while praying a prayer like that, made this thing collapsible. Oh, look at that. Oh, cool. Somebody had a good idea, probably while praying, God, how am I going to open the drawer with this silly thing in it? But we could pray for those people that we don't care for so much. We're told to pray for our enemies. Maybe we pray for the grimy pots and pans as we clean those out too. We say, God, for all the corners of my life that I like to keep hidden, but I don't want to give that stuff over to you. God, clean the depths of my heart. I know that you see everything within me. There's nothing I can keep hidden from you. Cleanse me deep down in my heart and soul. Wipe that grime away that I can serve you and serve others with a clean heart and an upright spirit. Part of that's from Psalm 51. Yeah. I wonder if it's not dishes, if it's sharpening lawnmower blades. I remember sharpening lawnmower blades with my dad, him doing his little parable thing where everything was a teaching moment, and saying, Stephen, it takes something harder to sharpen this blade than how hard it is. So you learn from those who are maybe a little bit stronger, a little bit better, a little bit more mature than you. 
as iron sharpens iron. Also, the blades need to be sharp to do well, to do a good job, that maybe we pray, God, sharpen me. Keep my mind active and alert. Help me to pay attention for the ways in which you are at work. Maybe this is part of our prayer, whether we're sharpening blades. Once again, don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes while sharpening things. I can attest to some tendon damage, though I don't think I closed my eyes when I did that, but I definitely closed my eyes after it. But how can we use everyday things as matters of prayer? While driving on really familiar roads, we might pay attention to the scenery a little bit. While driving in places that we've never been, yeah, we live in the day of GPS, but we're still looking for signs. God, thank you for the ways in which you guide and direct my life. Help me to see the ways that you're pointing and directing me, and help me to have the strength and courage to go on those paths that you lead me. That we could get from an interstate sign, mixed with, God, give me patience for all these fools who drive at different speeds than me. Bless the fools who drive faster than me. Protect them, though they are reckless. And bless those slow people in front of me, for they're probably slowing me down. Maybe speed them up a little bit, but I guess keep them safe too. Thanks if you're using them to keep me from injury or from getting a ticket. Might we make life prayer that we can look around, that we can have eyes to see, that everything can invite us into and lead us into a time of prayer. So whether you're washing dishes or driving or sharpening lawnmower blades or praying that your lawnmower breaks down, been there, didn't work, may life be shaped by prayer. And may we be people who pay attention. Maybe it's three times a day. Maybe it's in the same spot. Maybe it's anywhere you go. But may our lives be shaped and formed by prayer, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us to remember that our time in prayer with you, it matters. And so may we pray like it matters. May we talk to you because our relationship with you matters to us. And God, we know from your word that your relationship with us matters to you, that you went to great lengths to save us and to keep us, to call us your own. So God, may we pray like it matters. And may our time in prayer spent, may it reflect that our conversations with you are a priority. So whatever you have to use to remind us or whatever we can do to discipline ourselves into your grace, may we do so faithfully and fervently that we can pray like Daniel, like David, like Esther, that we can pray like all of the saints that have gone ahead and who will come after that we may speak with you, that we may give thanks, that we may ask you to help us, and that in this, you might change us. And so we continue to pray as we leave this place, though for now, all God's people said, amen.